I want to uh, do two things. I first of all want to give testimony of why this church began. I don't know how many more of these anniversaries I'll get to do, but I do know why it started. The old black spiritual says, you don't know. You weren't there. You don't know what the Lord done for me. I was there. I know. Average church in America, according to Southern Baptists, in 40 years you go through 20 pastors because the average is two to three-year tenure. So uh, you should have had 20 pastors over these years. But the one who brought me here has kept me here. And so, glory be to him. Let me uh, tell you, uh, so many of you were not here. Uh, we've got Virginia, my wife, Deborah, and I are the only four that were there the first day. Uh, so, uh, we know. Let me give you just uh, the vision why uh, God told me to start this church. Uh, I started this church uh, to present a wonderful, glorious, majestic Savior found in the gospel. And it was the gospel of the grace of God revealed in Jesus. Uh, I grew up with some wonderful believers. They taught me to sing, taught me to pray taught me to give, taught me a lot of things, but they weren't wonderful Bible teachers. We, uh, we were taught to give, serve, give, serve, uh, show up, be sure you tithe. And we had the, the little mantra of the things, but by the time I went to Bible school and the first time I ever heard this word defined, justification, by faith. When I first heard Dean Moore unpack that word in a Romans class at California Bible Institute that met at Sherwood Forest Free Will Baptist Church, I was a Pentecostal boy, an evangelist, and when he uh, taught that class and I had to memorize justification is that judicial act of God whereby he can declare a man righteous through no merit of his own based upon the imputed, put to his credit, righteousness of Christ. I thought that was the greatest truth I'd ever heard in my life. You mean God can declare a man righteous who does nothing more than receive the gift? Yeah. You mean I could be the man in Romans 4 that he says, blessed is the man to whom God does not charge sin. And my old daddy, a simple boy, as it were, he wasn't simple, he was God taught. I quote him more than any of my profs. He used to take, take the Bible and he'd look at me and he'd say, who is that man if it's not me? I'm that man. You can't charge me with sin. My Redeemer picked it up. 
Now, I grew up where you backslide three times a year to stay in shape. And we kept all the evangelists busy coming back to get all the backsliders back. Now, the theology said if you backslide, you're going to hell. You're lost while you backslid. But we keep telling them to come back. I was teaching the book of Romans out of Pentecostal school, and God painted me in the corner and says, you can't lose what God gave. He doesn't save anyone he intends to lose. And I thought, I thought, how many of my Pentecostal friends that I, that's my roots, that's my heritage, that's why I could be emotional and you get all offended. I could care less. I grew up with folks that got saved in a microwave oven. We were saved before the devil got a monopoly on enthusiasm. We were thrilled about this Savior. But so many of them I, I had no assurance. I don't know if I'll make it. I hope to be there. I might be there. I might slip. I was with a relative of Carolyn's, a dear aunt, just here the other night at the table telling me, at the table, well, you, you don't think you'll go to heaven if you commit a sin, do you? I said, absolutely. She said, no, I, you mean you think if, if on the way from home from church you sin? You've heard this, but I've heard it again from my 91-year-old aunt. I said, and in my heart, I'm thinking, how pitiful. I'm more sure she'll be there than she is. Why doesn't she have assurance? It's still a work system. It still counts on me. Counts on me. I started this church, and I went looking for my backslidden brother. I went after my sister. I went after every Pentecostal I knew that was backslidden and out of church that I thought was saved, and I wanted to tell them, he, you're not saved. You're just mixed up. You're strained. You're caught in a thicket. Come home. I believe you're a child of God. He came home. And I said yesterday, for me, the whole 43 years would have been worth it just to get my brother. It would have been worth it. And the grace of God set him free, not a religious treadmill where I'm trying to get good enough, good enough, good enough. Don't worry about being good enough. He's good enough. And he can get you through. And I started a church to tell all of us, Armenian people, that thought you could lose it 15 times. Baloney. He's a savior. He's not a loser. He saves. Jesus saves. Jesus keeps. And so I left the dear people I love that I still love, that I've kin folks with. And many of them have come to see grace, the grace of God. So we started not just to, we need to have a church. I came here burning with a theology. The grace of God will be what I'll tell Susie and her brothers. I'll tell them about grace. I, won't, I don't have a list of rules. I don't have a clothesline sermon. I don't have 15 rules. No, if God can't sanctify you, I can't. I saved nobody. But he did it. He did it. I, one of my great assumptions starting this church, and it's still true, it's gotten worse instead of better, is that most Christians are totally ignorant of what they got in Christ. They don't know 
the riches of grace in Ephesians uh, 4, Ephesians 1. They don't. Uh, I ought to tithe. I ought to pray. I ought to evangelize. And I ain't doing hardly any of them. And I ought to show up. And I ought to grunt once in a while in the service. And that's my religious duty. We are not in religious ruts. I hate religion. I love a relationship with the Savior by grace. It's by grace you are saved. By grace you are being kept. I serve him because I fell in love with him. My sister-in-law used to sing a song here at this church. Every once in a while, we'd never sing it. It went real nice. I give you Jesus. That's what I'm about. I don't know what you're about. I don't know why you're here. I don't know what the next pastor's going to be about. You might get a heretic. That's going to be up to you. But I ask for me, you record this, as this is my last anniversary. I give you Jesus. Jesus saves. Jesus satisfies. Jesus is enough. And when I went into this grace, I had the prophets telling me I was going to leave my wife. They were telling me I was going to fall. They were telling me I was arrogant. They were telling me I had a preposterous view. It was a view that leads to sin. And I say, I'll be married to her 50 years in June. I haven't stolen the money. I haven't taken up gambling. And I haven't touched any Jack Daniels or Harley ever. I would only put it in my tank. Because he didn't lead me to sin. He led me to adoring. Um, we will begin a series in January on Wednesday night. I yearn to teach the whole church. I hope more than 50 of you will come because I want to begin a series on so great a salvation because I have not taught the whole church the doctrine of salvation for over 40 years. Only in my Timothy Wild class. I'm going to start in November to preach on so great a Savior from the book of Hebrews. I believe the Bible will make you adequately supplied for everything God wants to do with you. So we believe in teaching the Bible. We're not on tangents. We preach what the Bible says. If you don't like John 10, find another church. If you don't like Hebrews, find it. We're a Bible church. We believe the Bible is sufficient. It is adequate. Right here. And you don't know any more about God than you know about this Bible. If you're not reading it, you have chosen ignorance. And you're poverty stricken for it. And let me tell you one reason we're doing 714 on prayer. As I've been interviewing different workers in different ministries and trying to introduce them to ministry, I ask this question, do you, do you have a morning devotion time? And nine out of ten say no. Samuel Chadwick said, the devil doesn't care if you've got prayerless preaching, prayerless teaching, prayerless church, just don't pray. And we thought today we're going to lead you in praying. We're going to pray corporately because it's easier to preach on prayer than it is to practice it. 
And one thing we don't, you know, in, when we pray in the book of Acts, they prayed in Acts 4 and it said the place was shaken. You read it, it's there. We want to be a praying church. One of the greatest things that God ever taught me is he gave me an older sister that taught me to pray. Not my profs, my sister. And you know what? We got another young generation over here. I started praying three hours a day when I was going to Walter T. Helms. I made a covenant with the Lord. I kept it for four years. I pray less now as a pastor than I did at 15. I wanted to be pure. I didn't want to backslide. I didn't want to fall away. So I prayed every morning from 6.30 to 8. Man, it was a miracle to make it because I like to sleep in. Then I prayed an hour and a half when I came home from school. Little Pentecostal church on 17th Street in San Pablo. Didn't go to that church, but the pastor gave me the key. I am amazed at the depth of prayer and that our young people never see us pray in the assembly. Why don't we pray together? Well, people do what their leaders do. And we're not modeling it. We've not taught you. And today I'm going to walk you through. We're going to pray corporately. And what I want you to do, I don't want you to pray too loud. I don't want you to jump a pew. I want you to follow me in prayer. And I think the 714 is simple. You know, 14 minutes, uh, I'll have to give up halftime today for at least 15 minutes. You might work this in the halftime. Uh, if you can learn to pray as not an act of legalism, but as an act of worship, you'll become addicted. And you just need to do it. 14 minutes is beginning. We're hoping you'll get a taste of it, and God will so meet you there that you quit worrying about the clock. Yeah, the New Testament never tells us how much time we ought to pray. It said they prayed without ceasing. And the way some of you drive, I would pray without ceasing. Uh, you know, you, you pray whatever, but we're trying to get you not into legalism, but a challenge to come to the table. I close with this. My uh, wife and I were interviewing a woman that is this way, a very hyper person, and you got to do this, i got to do that, and she was saying how that I think on Sunday morning she had to be there at 5.30 to set up for this uh, marathon race, and she had that to do, and this and that. And then she just stated in the interview, but, but I, uh, I just can't concentrate long enough to pray. I, I just can't do it. I, I'm a nervous person. I can't wait that much. And so we kept talking to her, we kept, and they keep coming back because she'd bring it back. And finally, she said, I I'm just not able to do it. And I decided to quit arguing with her about it. I, thought, I said, well, Jesus just won't share his lunch with you. If anybody will open the door, I'll bring my lunch in, and I'll share it. We'll sup together. I said, you're just going to have to starve to death. Do all the marathons you want. Blame your nerves all you want. You're too lazy to open the door and to come to the table. So you must starve. And much of church life, 
I talked to Pentecostal pastors that I know, her uncle being with them, and I talk, I talk in many traditions, and I always ask the, the younger men, do you guys pray like we used to? No, we've outgrown that. We're putting up a fog in the congregation, changing the lights. Because that's what really gets them. What? Fog? You've been in the fog. Oh, yeah, we're all into contemporary. We've got to set the ambiance. We've got to set the mood. Oh, I want to cuss. You don't set the mood. Go to Holy Ghost Hall and see what mood we had. Dirty old place. Alcohol. Skunks under the building. Ball games going on Sunday. I mean, a, 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 a shabby place. An insult to start a church there. But you know what I remember? Is God showed up. God showed up. So today, I like to lead you. Uh, uh, we're going to come to adoration and praise. I'm going to give you a quote. Dr. Alan Ross, the Hebrew leading prof at Dallas, said this. He shocks me. You can check it out. I never heard it before. It might be wrong. But he said it, and he's a fairly brilliant man. He said, praise in the Psalms was never meant to be private. They praised God when they met together. And I said, wow. And he said, it'd be like this. You want to praise your father, so you go in your closet. Oh, Dad, you're just wonderful. And, and no, no, praise in the Jewish Old Testament, in the Psalms, you came together because all the other idols around them were begging for their attention and their devotion you people of Israel come together, and when you come together, you start telling one another how adorable your God is. I don't need the gods of Baal. I don't need the gods of Ash. Let's talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's called adoration. And if you won't adore him, don't ask him for anything. When you start in prayer, you are to hallow God as Father and God and that means hallowing him. We'll get into it this week because we're going to be on prayer every week in October. It means to set God apart in what he's like in his attributes and his activities. Do you know any attribute of God you could worship him for today? I played this morning. I put on Brooklyn Tab because I wanted to hear it in light of this anniversary. And they started singing Carol's song, He's Been Faithful. Even when I failed him, he's been faithful. Even when I didn't seek him, he's been there. He's been faithful. Friend, I could stay there for an hour. He's been faithful. Any lesser love would have given up on me a long time ago. I'm here by the grace of God. What about you? Well, why don't you praise him among yourselves? We're, this is to be there. And you know what? I wonder if you adults will be helping me teach a younger generation to pray. They all know how to text. Can we teach them how to pray? Well, you know what you ought to be doing this booklet? You ought to have, if you do 714, why don't you make that family prayer time in the evening? Turn off the blasted TV. Get all the earphones out. Turn the phone off. We're going to talk to heaven. 
That's if any of you men have enough chutzpah to stand up. Maybe they're in charge of your home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house. I'd like you to bring up this song. I'm going to just, uh, I think we've got it. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Can we bring that up? I just want to close with that. I'm not preaching today. You've been spared. Uh, I'm going to just coach you. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. I love the stanzas. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen ones bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. My salvation is based upon a work that's done. I cannot complete salvation. Bring it back. You went too low. Okay, finished. All right, next one. I will not boast in anything. Is that true? Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows the Lord. Listen to Galatians 6. I will boast only in the cross. If you want to start bragging, brag on God and the cross. Do your theology at the foot of the cross. That's where our theology must start, the foot of the cross. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know, with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Is that true? Let, let's, just, let's just think about it. Ransom. If you were kidnapped, how much money would your family put up to buy you back? That's right, nobody kidnaps you. They know they can't, they can't get any money. Dr. Ackman keeps using this line, you were worth a son to the father. Let me tell you what he's saying, what he better be saying. We didn't set the price for our redemption. I deserved hell. I deserved wrath, and you did too. I didn't sell God that I'm worth a ton. God set the price. Just how about a lamb? How about a bullock? How about some turtle doves? Animal sacrifice is good enough with me, God. He said, no, I've set a far higher price to get you to heaven. To get you to heaven, it's worth the sun to me. I'll sacrifice him for someone as wretched as you. 
I'll be there, glory to his name. He set the price, not you. I wasn't worth it. But God loves you so much, he gave up a son. He gave up a son. This is our message. Let us take out a little sheet here. I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to model it, first of all. Learning to pray scripture, and we're going to be using the Acts model through the month to help you. Adore him, confess sin, uh, thanksgiving, supplication, and we put specific needs known. That's what uh, uh, supplication means, specific needs that are known. And then intercession. And you may mix those two, uh, but you're praying for something specifically. And if you pray and you follow the scriptures in your booklet, you would do like this. You could pray this way. Watch. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Right then, what I would do on my knees, I'd feel tempted. I'd all of a sudden start saying, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh. I said, well, I thought you were praying. No, I'm doing what he said. I, I think he said, sing to him. Do any of you ever just pull out your hymnal when you're praying and you sing a song to him? That's the only way some of you ever going to be heard. We don't want you in the choir. I mean, have you heard some of the saints sing? But it's, it's sweet to heaven. Let us come before him with murmuring. Unthankful people don't pray. They're too mad at God. Extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. Sex, money, power, drugs. He's greater than any other. We sang it today. He's greater. Do you believe that? Or do you believe you got uh, captured for a ragtag little movement called Christianity? Oh, friend, when the world's on fire, this crowd is going to be in glory. This thing's going to burn up the whole universe. And I've already got a reservation for the other side. It's got my name on it. Oh, you don't believe this, but I do. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Now, that's something we don't do much, is kneel down. You know, that's Old Testament. No, that's pride. And it's lazy. Not all of you have got arthritis. you got lazy-itis. You've never been taught to kneel. Hey, if you're too old to kneel, don't. But guess what? Uh, if I was sitting in a chair, I often pray in a chair. I'd want to get on my knees. I thought you guys took the Bible literally. Do you? Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if only you would hear His voice. 